Hello, and welcome to the Explorer podcast. My name is Blair Bathory. I'm Jenna Cannell. And we are two spooky ladies in Atlanta trying to bring politics, creativity, culture, and fringe topics together under one label. So here we are. This is our first episode. Let's get into it. Hello, explorers, and welcome to the first ever Explorer podcast. Uh, I'm Blair Bathory. I'm Jenna Cannell. And our very first guest is really exciting for me. I've been a fan of hers for uh, several months, ever since I got into TikToking. And she was one of the first um, influencers I watched. And she's been super educational for me, especially during this time. And I'm really, really grateful and excited to have her as our OG guest. So everyone, welcome Rin Starr. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Um, is this your uh, first podcast? How many podcasts have you done? Is this something new for you? This is my, I think, second one that I've actually done. I've been invited on a few, but, you know, just haven't been able to accept every invitation. But I think this is the second one I've actually accepted. Awesome. <laughs> We're honored. So, uh, Rin, can you um, kind of get into how you got into TikTok, why um, the topics you speak about and why they're important to you? Sure. Um, so TikTok, it's funny because I actually started, uh, I actually had TikTok back when it was Musical.ly. So way back in the day. Oh, wow. And I like to joke that if you scroll, if you scroll all the way down my uh, timeline or whatever, you'll find some really cringy Hamilton sing-alongs from when I was like, from like 2015. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, I had it back then, but I um, uh, did, you know, fell out of using it. just wasn't as interesting. And by, at that point, I think Vine was still a thing. Wow. And, um, Rest in peace. It, I know. Right. <laughs> and then later on, as it became, you know, more popular, TikTok became kind of had a TikTok, you know, bought out musically and became, had more of a resurgence. I had one that I used occasionally just for sketches or just to look at certain TikToks. And then about the time of quarantine or maybe a little bit right before, like early this year, um, I've started making videos a little bit more regularly. And then of course, when, you know, shutdown hit and there was nothing better to do, I started using it all the time. And um, at that point, I just started making them. And I never made them with any kind of intention of going viral or anything. I've never, I never had any, any, uh, dreams or, or, or fantasies of it being popular. I just mostly had it to look at other videos and then occasionally make them if I thought that they were funny. Yeah. And um, some, there was sort of a confluence of, of events that happened. I made a couple of videos, like educational type videos that started to, to do some decent numbers. I made some baking videos and some videos talking about linguistic stuff. And then right about the time that the blackout happened, um, which was in, I guess, May or something, um, <clears throat> right about the time where, where people were like dramatically affecting the algorithm by uh, posting, I uh, really blew up. Uh, I got probably 10,000 followers in about a, a couple of wow. days. And from there, it just kind of snowballed. And so, yeah, the next thing I knew, I, I'm currently almost at 400K. Wow. 
And um, yeah, it's just like, wow, I did not expect that. I had no plans for that to happen. It's been, it's been shocking because I'm a, I'm an elementary school teacher, you know, oh, day. Shit. and so, yeah, so I was on summer break, you know, and uh, I did not think this was the summer I was going to become TikTok famous, but here we are. And so since then I've, you know, been able to make a lot of connections, do podcasts, do interviews, get, you know, deals on offers for certain things. It's like, it's just, it's really been crazy. It's been, it's been a long Do your ride. students follow you? Do any of your students know? So I think a couple of them might have like, cause I, cause again, it happened right after we went home for school. Plus I hadn't seen them in a couple weeks anyway, because school had been canceled. And so I, um, I have had occasional people comment and be like, aren't you my teacher? And I usually delete those comments. because I don't want anybody to right. see it. But um, I haven't actually seen my kids face to face since I started like picking up on TikTok. <laughs> that is crazy. So you definitely were just cruising and then all of a sudden there was just a switch. Do you feel any kind of pressure to make videos now? Oh, absolutely. Um, especially the way that the algorithm, the TikTok works, it seems to really reward frequent posting. And um, so if you like, I took the weekend off last weekend just because I needed a break. And for a few days after when I came back, my videos were doing like no views, barely any views. And then um, I, uh, once I started, the views picked up as I began posting more throughout this week. But it seems like if you're not constantly, you know, posting, then your views drop off really quickly. So yeah, I, I definitely feel sort of pressure to kind of produce, you know, I think anybody who creates media on, so, on a social platform like YouTube or whatever, once you have a fan base that expects something from you, then there it creates more pressure for you to deliver. Right. And it sounds like you're saying the algorithm also favors certain behaviors and encourages those. Yes, it definitely does. And at this point, what would you say your most influential video has been or topic that you've discussed? Um, probably, let's see. One of my early viral ones was about um, ask versus acts. And um, that was one of my early linguistic videos, but I tied it into issues of race and class. And that did some pretty good numbers. And then, of course, the biggest one that I've had so far has been my viral one where I talked about um, uh, policing in black neighborhoods versus white neighborhoods. And I did that little jingle. And that one is the one that went super viral and with um, catapult. I saw you initially. <laughs> that was the first one on my FYP. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Um, yeah. That um, that was the one that kind of that a lot of people it, were introduced to me from. Yeah. And do you mind getting into that just a little bit? Um, kind of reiterating uh, what you were saying in that. Sure. Um, yeah, that that's another one. Totally unexpected. Totally did not plan for that to go viral. And at this point, I had, you know, a decent amount of followers, but I still didn't think that was going to be the one to, like, take off. I literally walked out to my porch and just rattled off a ditty on first take. Just And I was inspired by because I had been watching some stuff about um, crime statistics and how they, were, they could be easily misrepresented. And... So I just kind of, you know, rattled off a jingle because I'm a musical person. I teach music. That's was my major. That's what I do. And, um, you know, I just made it, closed my phone, went about my day, did not think anything of it. And next thing I knew, it had like a million views. And I was like, what? And I'm getting like people like celebrities are putting it on their story. Like um, AOC put it on her Twitter. Oh, I had like, yeah, I have people from like the Big Bang Theory putting it on their stories. Ben Platt reached out to me, said he really liked it. Uh, um, oh, gosh, what's his name? Um, 
Jonathan Van Ness. Wow. Like, it was crazy. Like, it was so, I was like, what is happening? Uh, Binge Pasek, who wrote music for um, The Greatest Showman and Dear Evan Hansen, and had reached out to me. He actually let me take over his Instagram for a day. Um, so that was cool. And I got to to rub elbows with some with some Broadway type folks there. Uh, Cynthia Revo really liked my stuff. So like yeah, that I, I it, that was crazy how that happened. And like the whole gist of it was basically just like, hey, you know, crime statistics are often misrepresented, you know, based on the, the level of policing that is done in a certain community and how often people are arrested for petty crimes and the kind of crimes that are patrolled for this, that, and the other. Um, and basically the bottom line is that like there has to be an explanation for crime rates. And if you're going to say that I'm not racist and I don't think that crime is driven by skin color, then there has to be another explanation for it. So it was crazy the amount of like pushback I got on that video. People saying, well, no, it's not. You know, it's not. Nuh-uh. It's just that, you know, black people are more criminals or they have a culture of crime or something. Like I, everything was just, I'm a racist and I think that black people are more inclined to commit crimes, whether they would admit that openly or not. It was just crazy how how much all of their arguments boiled down to that right um, and i guess the whole point of it was just sort of to let people you know give people a reason to to think like wait a minute maybe there is an explanation for this beyond just i guess black folks are just violent well right? and people love to say <laughs> well more white people are killed without taking into consideration the population statistics of what percentage of the country is what like exactly. the percentage of people arrested versus the percentage that that population makes up in the country. And people don't take that into consideration when they make those ignorant arguments. Exactly. I'm really interested in talking about linguistics and how that affects culture and how words do matter. And uh, that's actually pretty much the main reason I wanted to talk to you today because there's just been so much emphasis on how people spend their words or spend their agenda or how they present arguments. And I just wanted to get your opinion on what would be, so for somebody that is trying to be better, is trying to be a better ally, be a better person, be more self-educated, what's your opinion on where to start linguistically? Um, well, me, I started with YouTube. Um, there's basically nothing you can't learn on YouTube. Um, and I, Very um, true. there are, <laughs> yeah, true, exactly. There are linguists on YouTube. One of my favorite, one of my biggest inspirations is not just linguistics languages in general, but, um, was, uh, his name is Eric Singer. I think he's a dialect coach who works in Hollywood. So he um, helps actors and actresses achieve certain accents and stuff for films. And he's made several videos for Wired where he's broken down movie accents and um, or broken down the way that certain languages work or he's broken down how fictional languages work like Dothraki and the elven languages in uh, Lord of the Rings. And it's it, that stuff was fascinating. I loved watching his videos. They were like 20, 30 minutes long. I would gobble them up. Um, and there were some other people that I watch on YouTube or, or hear a podcast from, like I listened to the History of English podcast where it talks about the, um, the origin of certain words and languages and stuff like that. And that um, kind of just, I, I've always been interested in kind of where things come from like the evolution of language, like where does that word come from and why do we say that and where did this root come from? Like I knew that there were Latin roots and Greek roots and stuff like that, 
but to actually understand that so many languages come from a couple of core languages and how eventually they can branch out into their own languages. And language is communication, and communication is what makes us human beings. You know, like what makes us be able to to achieve higher thought is the fact that we communicate with each other. And so when we understand language at its at its most fundamental level, then we can understand people. And when we understand people, we can kind of understand the world around us, which is why I feel like linguistics has a root in everything social and economics and racism and all of that. It's all part of the um, function of language because, you know, language is who we are. Right. And beautifully said. And I just, for me, as a white Southern woman who's been raised in the South her whole life, I've always found it uh, really interesting um, how, especially in school, language wasn't... um, really important for people. And it's actually, I have an anecdote. I, when I was in high school, they offered three languages, Spanish, French, and Latin. And I immediately knew I wanted to take Latin. Um, I was really interested in derivative words. And like you, I've, I've always been interested where things come from, hence why we named this podcast uh, Explorer. And um, yeah, I got a lot of backlash from my mother which there's actually a long story there Jenna's laughing because um I don't I don't know if you looked me up or anything before all this but I was just recently on a reality tv show and um my mother was also on it and um she was very uh upset because the way she was portrayed um could be construed as racist. And um, I never said that verbally to her, um, but her and I actually aren't speaking right now anyway, but nevertheless, what reality show was uh, it? It's called Bride and Prejudice, Forbidden Love. And essentially I'll, I'll, I'll save you the entire long synopsis, but it was about three couples that were trying to find common ground uh, with their families and potentially get married. Well, I did get married and my partner is uh, half North Korean and my mother was not happy about that. Um, But there was actually uh, a lot of scenes where the words she were, she was speaking, she didn't understand the context and the, the way she was saying them. Um, Well, because like we're all saying words have, an incredible amount of power. Right. And there was actually a scene mm-hmm. where she uh, brought up uh, children, grandchildren, and she kept repeating, I want my grandchildren to look like us. Oof. Yeah. Did you Oy. not see this? Ooh, yeah. No. Yeah. That's well, upsetting. <laughs> essentially, long story short, she kept saying that, and the, um, the therapist that we actually had to meet with throughout the show, who's on uh, that Married at First Sight show, Cal Robertson. Mm-hmm. I, I can't remember his name. Really nice guy. Anyway, he, uh, he he's an African-American guy, and he basically said to my mom, Kelly, uh, if I said I wanted my grandchild to look like me, what would that mean to you? And without skipping a beat, my mom said black. And it was just, yeah, it was just very, yeah, it was just very intense, one. And two, it was embarrassing because 
I don't think she was being inherently racist. I don't think. However, what she was saying. Right. Well, you get into uh, intent versus intent. Right. And and implicit bias uh, and inherent bias Mm -hmm. versus. uh, And I think a lot of us. Um, where a lot of white people are now having this reckoning around how one can be extremely racist without being outwardly obviously racist. And that's something that I think people haven't necessarily all known until now. Right. There's like a reckoning around it. Right. How it's Uh, not always this very obvious kind that Hollywood wants us to think it is. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think that 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 in itself is a propagation it's propagated to stop us from looking at the systemic race problems in our um society because we're trained to basically like i made a video about this recently how we're basically trained to think oh racism that's just individual bad acts it's just a bunch of stupid southern rednecks you know waving confederate flags and clan robes and stuff like that and as long as we got rid of that or just ignored that then racism doesn't exist it's like no racism is a lot more subtle than that and a lot like i'm not even i'm not afraid of clansmen they're pretty obvious like i can just avoid them i'm more concerned about the people who are implicitly racist right and that actually i could make a correlation to making horror movies um because that's what jenna and i do and um the scarier monster is the one that's not obvious. Yeah, the one that you can't mm-hmm. see. Right. Um, yeah, a clan. Yeah, if a clansman comes running at you, it's pretty obvious. If your liberal friend makes a a comment, mm-hmm. it's a lot mm-hmm. less. It's a lot harder to fight because it's um, there's so much gray area. Mm-hmm. Well. Um, Anyway, to bring that back around, my mom, when I was in high school, she didn't understand why I wanted to take Latin. She's like, no. Oh, that's right. (laughs) Yeah. We went off where we were. We're back. Yeah. We took a trip. We returned. There was a reason to this. (laughs) Regardless, uh, I ended up taking it because at no point in my life have I listened to my mother. (laughs) And um, anyway... My favorite teacher that I've ever had in my entire life was Mrs. Gerardo, may she rest in peace now, uh, who was my Latin teacher. And she was, uh, not only was she as a, a black woman, but she was one of the most eloquent and accommodating teachers I've ever had. And mind you, I ended up dropping out of high school when I was 17, but she was the one that I will always remember. And I, I cherish the, the moments I had in her class, but, uh, that was really where the spark for language happened for me was in that Latin class. Um, Hmm. well, and so much of language, I just wanted to quickly interject before we moved on so much of language it's interesting because you can have the same language but different dialects and have things carry different weight also depending on just where you are you know i mean american english and british english are two different things uh exactly so so much of it is is cultural and there's different kinds of american english and different kinds of exactly (laughs) exactly yeah and i i grew up learning hebrew which is structured like latin um and pretty much equally as uh useless here unfortunately mm-hmm. <laughs> interesting are you jewish or do you yeah. just yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay yeah. <laughs> uh 
um, not religious, but yes, we can get into that later. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Right. (laughs) And on the subject of teaching, how do you go about teaching your elementary school students um, about race and what's happening in the world? Because I I always find that interesting how you teach a child. Oh, yeah. I have never shied away from talking about race issues with my students. I teach um, kindergarten through fifth grade and um, I make it age appropriate. I, you know, kind of tailor it based on what kind of what grade, like fifth grade can handle more than kindergarten can, obviously. But um, but I I don't believe in sugarcoating or in um, uh, hiding the reality from kids. Because I think that, I, you know, I am one of maybe five black teachers in our whole school. And a lot of those are not homeroom teachers, or if they are, they're like kindergarten teachers. So a lot of these kids are never going to really get, at least not in elementary school, get a black person's perspective. Obviously, there's a lot of black students, but <clears throat> there's also white students and lots of Latino students. Where is this again? And, Where is this? Uh, I live in Char- the Charlotte area, oh, okay. North Carolina. Yeah. So all of our schools are like uh, probably a third black, third white, and a third Latino, or maybe half white, and the other half is made up of blacks. And I was going to say, yeah, um, and I know that there's a large <laughs> native population in North Carolina as well. Yeah, very much. So yes, there's kids, and there are kids who are. I think I've had a couple of kids that are like that are specifically Native American. Then obviously, a lot of Latino kids have native right. culture, have native ethnicity, even though they're considered Mexican, mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, but anyway, I um, so yeah, I've got a lot of kids, you know, of these different backgrounds, and I've got a couple of Asian kids and stuff like that. But I've always promoted cultural diversity in my classroom. And when it comes to talking about these issues, you know, I'm like. I talk to them about it in a candid, however, and I always, I always frame my lessons. I mean, I'm a music teacher, but the cool thing about being a music teacher is that you can pretty much make anything relevant to music. So I could talk about Negro spirituals. I can talk about the history of jazz. I can talk about, you know, any kind of music from any kind of culture, any kind of religion, whatever. And um, like for instance, when I talk to my second graders around Black History Month, we always kind of talk about spirituals. We start off by talking about what is like slavery mm. as that's a great time to ask them what that is at about second grade because they're at a point where maybe they kind of sort of understand or maybe they've at least heard of Harriet Tubman What's or something. What's answer but, from them? Um, well, it depends. Sometimes sometimes the kid will really know what they're talking about. They'll be like, oh, slavery is, you know, when when uh, someone makes you do like the work and they don't pay you or whatever. And some kids are just like, I don't really, you know, I don't get it. And the way I usually explain it is I'm like, okay, so imagine that someone took you from your house and they told you, you have to work in my house now and you have to do everything that I tell you to do and I'm not going to pay you. And if I want to make your mommy or your daddy or your brother or your sister work in a different house, then I can do that. Like you may not ever see them again. And their their eyes get really big and they're just like, that, that's, that sounds bad. And some of them were like, I would fight them. I would punch them. I don't know. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. like, uh, you know they, they understand, like they understand the concept and they get the, how awful that would be. And I basically explained like, this is, that's what this is. Like, this is what this is. This is, can you get Oh, hi here? kitty. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. We love kitties. We do. We do. Good company. And oh my I, I think that in a lot of ways, children are probably better I would think at talking about race because they see things in a more simplified way and, and they have receptive yeah and they haven't been conditioned as deeply to uh be afraid yeah in the way that adults exactly. have like my my younger brother is autistic and he he's been in a relationship with 
a young woman who's also on the autism spectrum, but she's black. And uh, they've been together for three years, which is longer than any relationship I've ever had. So it's very impressive. But uh, I remember talking to him about about this. And I remember saying, like, you know, do you ever think about how because he's treated differently because he's disabled. And I ever think about I I ask him if he thinks about or notices, you know, do you notice that Jesse has to deal with different challenges than you do? And I remember the first time we had a conversation about the fact that Jesse's black and he's white and um, his reckoning with that. And he was just so, I don't know, he just simplified it in a way that a lot of neurotypical adults don't, where he was like, you know, that's because people are scared and angry and it's dumb and it's wrong. Mm -hmm. End of story. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's just that simple. Right. (laughs) Yeah. That's the thing. I think you're right. I think that kids really do. They understand before they have a chance to, you know, be, uh, affected by their their parents they they do have a um an understanding of how simple and wrong it is and i and i hope that they hold on to that you know because and that's why i always try to expose them not just to black culture but to all kinds of culture because they live they already go to a multicultural school you know they they see kids of different races and there's plenty of mixed kids that's another question i always get particularly from the older kids when i talk about the segregation era and like martin luther king and how the schools used to be separate blacks and whites and i always get questions like what about the mixed right. kids or what about the what about the Mexican kids? I'm like, well, there weren't that many Mexican kids in school at the time, and um, the mixed kids wouldn't have existed to the degree that they do now. <laughs> like, <laughs> like uh, you know, it's like, and again, that's so confusing for them because like, that's another thing. I have a lot of mixed kids, and um, they don't understand that like it didn't used to be like legal for black people and white people to, to date, much less have kids. And so, um, <clears throat> and um, and so that's the kind of thing that um, that they again it's an eye-opening experience for them to understand like oh this is like a thing like this you know because that's not the world that they live in and of course there is still racism but they don't understand what things were like and how the way that we structure things now is differently because the the education they get on black history tends to be very very um (laughs) yeah exactly skewed and, and and small like they just don't get a whole lot of information period so it's just like oh, Martin Luther King was a dude and he marched and asked people nicely to stop being racist and then they did. And that was the end of racism and everyone lived happily ever after. I thought Obama (laughs) fixed racism. I thought that was was done. Oh my gosh, Well, it's funny to me that you as a music teacher are worried about or like have taken it upon yourself to approach these things. Like you're not a history teacher. And you're still exactly. finding yourself approaching these things with your students, which I think is beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. My favorite, th- my favorite graphic uh, that I use sometimes in my, or uh, that lots of fellow music teachers have on their wall somewhere, the poster is it uses the letters of music, but it uses the letters to help spell out different words like uh, math, history, science. Um, I forget what the other one is, but language, math, history, science, language, and something else. But um, like that is music is everything it's language it's history it's science it's math it's got all of these elements to it that are um you know that make it what it is and um that is what's so cool for me to be able to teach it and to be able to to branch into all of these other areas yeah and you actually mentioned a couple minutes ago uh teaching african-american hymns or what what can you elaborate on that just a little bit? Yeah, I talk. I teach um, 
what for two years like last year I did it a little bit differently but um for the first two years of my teaching I was doing I every February I did a unit on Black History Month and every every week we did a different topic and I kind of made it chronological so we started out talking about um spirituals and then we talked about blues like early blues and then jazz and like hip-hop rap that kind of thing which of course kids loved when we get to hip-hop <laughs> but um <clears throat> but I talk about how there's been pretty much a clear line between all of these musical styles and we talk about <clears throat> excuse me we talk about um how the spirituals where they came so that's when we usually start talking about like slavery what is slavery what's that about and then we talk about so they use these songs to make themselves feel better and some people say that they use these songs to help them like escape and then I'll show them follow the drinking gourd or wait in the water or something like that. And um, there's there's all kinds of books about that kind of thing too. So I'll usually read I usually read them a book from each um, from each time period, and I will read them a story about slavery or about um, segregation or about someone using music to prevail. Like in jazz, I read them a story about Ella Fitzgerald or about Louis Armstrong, and um, kind of tie it all in. So. Um, when we talk about the spirituals, we're talking about religious stuff, but we're also talking about how people used their faith to get them through a hard time. Right. And the beauty, I think that spirituals are, I, my, my choir, um, I sing at the, the Charlotte Symphony Chorus, and our um, director said that spirituals are the great American music. Like they are like kind mm -hmm. of the quintessential American mm -hmm. music. I think that what, even if you're not religious, you can appreciate just how deep and spiritual and, and magical that music is because it speaks to a time of great suffering and sorrow but at also a time of great human strength and resilience and um so I really and I, I have a choir of my fourth and fifth grade students which I have taught well we were going to do a concert that involves some spirituals because I think they're just so they're just so important they're just such an important cultural landmark Absolutely. yeah and they're a form of oral history I mean we've exactly. been uh, we as human beings have been uh, communicating our history through music since before there was written history or, exactly. or in cultures that were suppressed and kept from learning to read and write. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you think about the music, even like the music of the, of the native Americans, which I think is also very beautiful. Um, and so many cultures that either that rely on oral history more than written history Um yeah, it's such an important part of historical preservation. Yeah, well, and I mean, indigenous people, uh, the colonizers prohibited them from communicating in their native languages. They, they were forced to yeah. speak English. So it's, you know, yeah. How else do you carry on your history? Um, actually, that's another TikToker I really want to talk to. Um, he's Native American, and I've been following him just as long as I've been following you, Lynn. Uh, Oh, which one? I, I, his name's escaping me. He's like the most popular one. He uh, he's a, does he dance a yes. lot? Is it Notorious? Creed? I think so. Yeah, <laughs> I love I him, love I him love too. Him. He's so great. Um, yeah, and that that actually not to bring it back to TikTok, um, but everything comes back to TikTok. Everything does. <laughs> yeah, everything comes back to TikTok. <laughs> but. Uh, I genuinely, and maybe this, I should be embarrassed by this, but I'm not. I've <laughs> learned so much cultural history on TikTok. Well, I was going to bring mm -hmm. this up earlier when you guys were first talking about this. I think, uh, I wonder if that's a part of why things like the videos you were talking about, Rin, become so viral. Because 
their TikTok, everything is so short and it's so bite-sized. And I think uh, people are much more likely to take to lessons being taught in that format. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think our, our generation of, of short attention spans really, right. really lends itself to that. Um, yeah. And I completely agree. I honestly feel like I'm a completely different person than I was even like three months ago because of TikTok. Like I've never experienced <laughs> such a rapid change in my mentality and my politics and my philosophy yeah. in my cultural awareness and my all of cooking that. skills. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I've been radicalized. <laughs> <laughs> exactly yesterday i made a pie from scratch based on tiktok videos there you go. Like, what am i who am wow. i <laughs> um yeah and it's just been i, I think there's a a big part uh, especially in the united states culturally that's missing uh of all these voices and it's just been really wonderful to see people like yourself just have a platform it's just been really great. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm excited to to see where you go from here. It's been it's very, very cool to watch. Um, so talking about um, you being a teacher, one of the very interesting uh, topics that you spoke on and forgive me if I mispronounce but pronounce this, but Golagichi. Mm-hmm. Uh, Golagichi, that's yeah, correct. Your grandmother is spoke this um not my grandmother my um my great great grandmother um yeah great or great great i can't remember but uh yeah i had um uh uh, an older relative that spoke my my grandmother did speak a dialect of a very southern like english um but she grew up in alabama but i have family who grew up in like the lowlands of south carolina and georgia who spoke it and um so yeah, um, it's got some kind of cultural connection to me, and it is very interesting. And that's a perfect example of the fascinating historical element of um, African American vernacular English and of Gullah because it is a Creole dialect that was combined from the language of the Angolans. The Angolans are where we get the Gullah word from, um, uh, who were brought over as slaves, of course and the language that they learned to speak, which was a combination of their Angolan languages and English, uh, primarily English, but edited to their um, taste. So there's a couple of words in there that are distinct, that are distinctly have more of an Angolan influence than English. Like most of it sounds like English. There's occasional words like nam means eat, um, debokra, bokra means um, white person. So um, there are certain ones where it's like, oh, I wonder where, that, where the etymology of that particular word came from. But but yeah, it's a, an English Creole, um, and a Creole itself is basically a language that is kind of born of, it, it's like a dialect, but it, it takes a lot of influence usually from one language and then kind of mixes it in with some of the other language. And it is a way that people communicate who often have been colonized by certain people. So for instance, Haitian Creole is mostly French, the French Creole, but it's got elements of the people, the the slaves in Haiti where they came from it's got elements of their original language to it yeah uh that is so cool I've never so I'm from (laughs) the south I was born and raised in Florida and I I knew there were different dialects southern dialects but I had never heard of this one in particular and it's very interesting to me I actually have been writing a script for 
geez, uh, way too long. It should be finished by now. Uh, but it's it's about Southern culture. It's a, it's a horror film about the church and meth addiction and a lot of really interesting things. I lived in Tennessee, uh, Kingsport, Ooh. Tennessee, to be specific. And um, coming from Florida, that was quite a culture shock. Um, and I actually do have family uh, in Hendersonville. I don't know if you're familiar uh, North Carolina, Hendersonville. Oh yeah, Hendersonville. Yeah, yes, uh, yeah, I know exactly where that. Yeah, is. they live up in the mountains. Um, I've gone to their Church of God, and um, it's been very interesting experience for me um, coming from the beach in Florida. But when I lived in Tennessee, I kind of got this, for lack of a better term, mountain culture that I never really experienced. I mean, I knew kind of about Appalachia and and that kind of. thing. Thing, but I never got to experience firsthand and it just resonated with me so much. And I think probably because my family comes from that region. But when you were talking about Gullah Geechee and your TikToks, I was, that was one of the things I really grabbed onto. So thanks for explaining all that. Um, do you know, um, or have you researched other Southern dialects and kind of where those have come from um to some degree yeah i've looked into um well i've looked into louisiana french louisiana creole um which uh, well there's louisiana creole and louisiana french not exactly the same thing but um obviously louisiana was purchased from france and there's a lot of that there's another creole version that lives down there a lot of words are influenced by french and the funny thing is that a lot of french words influence words that are used in african-american vernacular english and even the names a lot of quote-unquote ghetto names have french roots like jerome and desiree and deandre those are all french or french inspired names um that are now considered quote-unquote black names but they definitely come from french um and or words like bougie is uh short for bourgeois and um that comes from french and so that and bougie i don't know if they knew they were speaking french (laughs) but they were (laughs) Um, and um so a lot a lot of languages they are inspired by that and um one of the famous French Creole phrases or Louisiana French phrases is les élèves ton roulé, which is let the good times Ooh, roll. But it's, love that. Yeah, but it's, <laughs> yeah, and it's one of those things that is distinctly of Louisiana French. It's not something that you would ever hear in France. If you say that in Fran- France, they would look at you like, like you're funny. Yeah. It's not structured the way that French like sentences are usually structured. It's structured like an like an English sentence would be structured, but it's in French, and um, that's something that they say around like Mardi Gras and stuff. Yeah, and uh, yeah, um, and then there's also there's I think it's Texas Texas German, which is really that's fun. So strange uh, as a concept. Yeah, there were a lot of German immigrants in Texas, and they spoke German. And if you if you haven't lived here, you've heard someone speak German in a very southern texas accent it's the most fascinating thing i mean my my landlord is from india but says y'all and hearing y'all in an indian accent is like i don't know why it brings me such joy because it's just it just feels like a like a portrait of america exactly melting pot thing you want to talk about a portrait of America. So I listened to this story of um, there are there is a, a small but significant Chinese population in Mississippi. And these people have been here for like over a century. They've been here longer than some white Americans have. And they basically immigrated over to work for, you know, like 
I think sometimes railroads are like um, they would they would have shops, you know, convenience stores and that kind of thing. And so their descendants are these people who are ethnically completely Chinese. They look, you know, they're very Chinese. They look very Chinese. But when they speak, they speak in the most thick Southern drawl you've ever heard. And their food is like this hilarious combination of Chinese cuisine and American cuisine. So they'll make like fried rice, but they'll put bacon in it. Like they'll do like they'll, they'll like do like traditional Chinese food, but then also put like southern element food elements in there, and it was just the funniest thing. Like I was watching one of the ladies, the, the older women who was in this community, they were talking about you know how does she face um, discrimination? With she's like, I thought it was kind of strange because they, you know, this white ladies be asking like where I came from, like I come from here, I've lived here longer than you. <laughs> <laughs> like what is going on i know it's yeah the the, this country's stance on immigration is uh, is comical given that everyone here except for indigenous people did not start here (laughs) i know it's the funniest thing and like language and even the whole like americans americans speak american americans speak english it's like america has never declared english to be their official language nor has at any point in history has everyone in america spoken one language never like when the founding fathers were like starting the country like people in in new york mostly spoke dutch like people spoke french people spoke german like it was totally like until like the 19th century it was totally normal to speak any of those languages in the united states in fact sojourner truth the um the slave woman who wrote um, ain't i a woman her first language was dutch uh, she grew up speaking dutch she was a slave in new york and she spoke dutch yeah <laughs> well and and when you look at like you were saying um aave Uh, african-american vernacular english and even certain types of southern vernacular they have code switch i think it was did a really good episode about this where they talk about how these dialects have rules in the and linguistic rules and guidelines in the same way that any other language does Mm -hmm. it's not slang it's their their they have rules you know and Mm -hmm. and, exactly there there are grammar right there are Mm -hmm. specific grammar rules yeah, like the um, the continuous B, like he be doing that. Right. That doesn't mean he's necessarily doing that right now. It's something that he does frequently. Right. He be playing, he be running, he be drinking, he be working. Like that's that's a linguistic thing. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So um, I have to find a way to integrate spooky stuff into every single thing i do every element of my life this is no different yeah, i'm all about that yeah uh i'm a spooky girl so jenna's a spooky girl too uh, do you watch uh danny gonzalez sorry sidebar i don't should i uh you should he's a he's a commentator on youtube who's one of my favorites but he has he, he has a song called spooky guy he actually does like a different <laughs> version of it every halloween oh. but he's like i'm a spooky guy and i will spook you every day till the day like he does like <laughs> hardcore rap but it's like super goofy That's amazing. <laughs> like, no i actually um in hallow hallow queen or i don't know what i'm gonna call it quarantine halloween uh this year i've been going back and forth of what i'm gonna dress up as because that's obviously going to happen. Of and course. I think I'm going to do a female version of David Pumpkins. What? Sure. Ooh, nice. I, I, David S. Pumpkins. <laughs> I, that is me. That's me. Why not? Yeah. Uh, Live your life. So what I thought would be interesting to talk about with you, because uh, you speak so eloquently about language and the South and is very specifically African-American ghost stories of the South. 
And I want to know if you knew of any um, or any that have resonated with you or that you've passed on or that have been passed on to you. Um, let's see. I don't know if I know of any off the top of my head. I do know that like those are a thing in the South. I know like especially it's like Charleston has like ghost tours. Um and Savannah. And that Yeah, and Savannah. And honestly, people have talked about I was reading an article saying that a lot of times those things have historically kind of exploited black folklore right by um mm -hmm. you know making it part of the whole spooky black stories or whatever but they're basically taking black people's stories and right using them to entertain white people yeah new orleans, and, um, new orleans is big on that as it, well oh yeah exactly or like the voodoo like right. they take you know voodoo and they're like oh you know it's like i mean i don't believe in voodoo but voodoo wouldn't have the reputation it had if it was practiced by white people <laughs> um, <laughs> like it's just like it's like oh spooky spooky it's like that's no more pagan than the norse religions y'all just act like it's weird because it's white it's black people right, doing it's, it uh, <laughs> fringe yeah culture and um so yeah i know that um I, I i'm sure i have heard stories like i think i heard a story about a um a hotel recently that was haunted by a black servant girl or something like that but um but yeah what are some of the ones that you are familiar with because maybe i would recognize i'm them. actually not familiar with any um, i know that, some like there that, are some specifically jewish ghost stories that oh, are... we'll we'll get to that <laughs> episode but okay i actually have been so my initial first podcast i wanted to do was about this but i have had a very difficult time i wanted to speak to an african-american's philosophy uh, professor or somebody that has some um, education on this particular topic. Um, and it's been re really difficult to find somebody, um, not even just to get their permission to speak with them. Like there's just nobody that I can find that would be able to speak on this. Well, and um, ghost stories are tricky too, because uh, I think in most cultures, ghost stories have been traditionally passed on orally, exactly, like yeah. we're talking about with music. And so when, exactly. when you read like scary stories to tell in the dark, which is a great series, you don't know, like it's an amalgamation of stories that come from who knows where. Right. Uh, because they're passed exactly. on orally. And I think every culture probably puts their own spin on it. Absolutely. Of like, you know, someone's under the bed, like the calls are coming from mm -hmm. inside the house, you know. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows where those are coming from? Right. That that's exactly why I wanted to speak to somebody that has some education on this because I want to know the root, the root of where these came from and yeah. the implications of what they mean. Um, well, yeah, because some of them are meant to be morality plays, and exactly. Things like that is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and some of them I think you know are about like you know they they kind of exploit the struggle of the african-american like we're talking about yep. some you know like some of the horror like horror i do know that horror the horror genre basically the first horror movie that was basically made in america was um a birth of oh, a nation God. yeah and it cast black people as the villains mm -hmm. and uh, the, the monsters and we started out as monsters which is why black horror is so fascinating when you change that when you flip that on its head we've watched things like jordan peele yep. and his take on right. horror it's fascinating because it has these elements of like you know our black people's role in horror we started out as the monsters and then we were just the victims like we were the first people to die you know and so, so either we're the monsters or we're the victims but to have black people take an agency in their own story is uh fascinating so when you have something like us which came out i think last year mm -hmm. by jordan peele and lupita nyong'o is in it an and movie. it has 
yeah exactly and it, it, it takes some of the traditional horror tropes of like you know the ground people people living underground or whatever but it also um really takes some of those elements of like just ghastly horror from an african standpoint and from an african-american standpoint um which i think is very interesting yeah and there's an interesting uh arc with um queer people in horror too yeah. where mm-hmm. queer, that's, that's yeah where queer people starting out as the villain and then becoming like you know being punished for your sexuality and now we're seeing more agency like you're saying so while we're on the subject of horror films just real quick ren have you seen the original night of the living dead i have not you should you should put that on the list it's exactly what you're talking about and also have you seen nia DaCosta's candy man trailer yet i have yes I have so excited so good yes and that i'm excited for because i think it's going to turn it on its head because the original candy man was a uh, problematic um, um in its portrayal again of a black villain and so the idea of um a, a a black person kind of taking ownership of that again i think is exciting also very excited for me uh, i will love yes. to see it love to see it so november how are we all feeling about that? Mm. <laughs> because I'm telling you, I'm like, wait, scared. what's happening in November? Oh, just a little thing uh, called the election. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that yeah. I almost That's forgot. <laughs> I was recently in Missouri um, visiting family for the first time I hadn't seen in 10 years. Um, and Springfield, Missouri, which anybody listening, correct me Springfield if I'm wrong. Springfield 3. Huh? Oh, never mind. Sorry. Uh, well, that, but also it used to be the meth capital of the world. Oh, did not know that. Yeah. But uh, not really relevant. Just an interesting little fact. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, nobody was wearing masks. Mm. Um, there were a lot of Trump hats. And I was there for three weeks. And actually, my family there is rather liberal. Um, there's some issues with that as well. But yeah, I just started meditating on the next four months and I started getting really scared. And when I got the yes from you to do this podcast, I really wanted to hear your thoughts um, about what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> know, that's probably a loaded <laughs> exactly, slow exactly. crumble of democracy. <laughs> Let's talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for real, like, Honestly, 2016 taught me to never make predictions like again. No, yeah. <laughs> no one can. <laughs> like, Everyone. And, yeah. I mean, for real, like that—that that was a wild, a wild time. Mm-hmm. And now it's just like, like I, I don't even know what can happen, and I can't even tell you what I think would be the best outcome. And I, I like obviously, I you know I'm not fan of Trump. Don't want him to be there. Any I know, longer, but Biden but... is also. It's that Biden's also, Not you know, great. Pretty <laughs> yeah. and so it's just like, you know, like, I, I hate because I feel like we kind of had this issue in 2016 too, and now it's even worse. Yes. Where it's like, you know, like I didn't like Hillary either. Right. It's just like, nice. you know, like the DNC, please, like give us a decent candidate. Stop giving us these people that no, nobody they, wants. They, <laughs> give, they they keep offering up safe candidates. And yeah, keep losing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like how do you how long before you realize that that's not it's not that safe? The whole re- I mean, you know, 
yeah, give the RNC credit where it's due. They, when it came, they may not have been a fan of Trump when he was in the primaries, but once he became the nominee, they all rallied behind him and they pushed him, even though he wasn't the quote unquote safe candidate and it paid off. So it's like, maybe you could learn a few things. Yeah. Maybe you could just go ahead and take that risk and put the one that seems a little fringe out there because who well, knows? Well, because they, li- they <laughs> listen to their constituents. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. For better or for worse, they do listen to their right. constituents. So, like, oh, no. like, y'all could maybe try to do that. But yeah, there is hmm. also just a illusion of choice. I mean, we, it's, exactly. uh, it's manufactured consent. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's exactly. manufactured it's like, consent. It's vote for this guy because he's not the other guy. Vote for this exactly. old white male cisgendered rapist because he's not the other old <laughs> exactly. male cisgendered rapist. <laughs> Wow! Exactly. And it makes me crazy because it's like you know, not only I think that the the whole like politics in America in general is a circus. Yeah. It's a joke. Like it's it's such a mess, and people are so entrenched in tribalism right. that they don't like consider like what actually is the impact in the community. So people are so much like I'm going to vote for Biden because he's not Trump, or I'm going to vote for Trump because he's not Biden, but they don't have any kind of understanding of like what that actually means or what actual changes in policy would happen and like sorry yeah or the fact that what no just or the fact that real change happens on us on a smaller government exactly on a smaller level we get so focused on who's the president and like i'm not saying that doesn't matter but like the the things that happen on a local level matter a lot more um to the everyday you know occurrence i mean I would say that obviously with this coronavirus stuff, things have gotten a little bit uh, bananas, (laughs) but for the first three years of Trump's presidency, I'm not going to say there weren't like terrible things that that, that badly impacted certain groups of people. But for me personally, my day-to-day life wasn't super impacted, you know, more as much as it was from like local decisions because, you know, the president will say stuff, but then the Congress has say all that kind of stuff. So it's like, you know, the day-to-day life of the average American citizen isn't super impacted by who the president is. I mean, sometimes it is, but, but usually it has more to do with who your mayors are, who your county representatives are, who your governor is, that kind well, of thing. Well, we're seeing that now because in oh, Atlanta, boy. yeah, our, <laughs> oh, Lord. we have a black female mayor of Atlanta. Yeah. But then, oh, I've heard all about yeah. that because I got so much family. Okay, right, right, He's, right. So you know, about, yeah, Kemp is, you know <laughs> we have Keisha Lance Bottoms, who's our mayor, um, who I don't necessarily agree with about everything, but is certainly handling it better than our governor, who mm. is... Brian Kemp, who is a steaming pile of garbage. Um, and we're seeing him punish her for things that other mayors are doing, but he's only targeting her. Yeah, exactly. Like when he was targeting her for trying to sue her for the mask mandate, the Savannah mayor did that yeah. too. Why didn't you go after him? Uh, oh, because he's a yeah, white man. What could possibly be the difference? <laughs> it's been kind of where we started, just horrific down here. Um, you know, I was gone for three weeks, but every day on Twitter, I'm seeing Atlanta, Atlanta, Atlanta. And it's embarrassing. It really, well, if anything, Atlanta. Yeah, I've been so. Oh, go ahead. If anything, no, if anything, Atlanta, what? I was just going to say Atlanta makes Georgia look better on the bright side. Like, I would say that yeah. I'm not, pr- I'm certainly not proud, but Atlanta at least is more. It's so much more diverse in a very intersectional way, more than any other part of Georgia. It's just such a small part of I Georgia. I know, I know, but I'm hold. <laughs> just let me have this. No, you can have it. Exactly. Have it. Oh, yeah. Like Atlanta no, has a I, huge I, gay population, a huge immigrant population. It's mo- like a huge black population, and it's not, and it's a city. Yeah. 
yeah. Well, uh, I never leave. Uh, I never go OTP <laughs> outside the perimeter, as they say. Yeah. Um, well, look, we're all just stressed the fuck out about November. I certainly am. And I, again, like you, Ren, I don't know the answer. And I think that's where a lot of the anxiety comes from, because we just don't know what to do. Well, I think what I, to prepare. Right. For. I think I'm scared because I it worries me personally that uh, something like a virus and things like preventative measures such as masks have become politicized. Exactly. I cannot stand that. It's the stupidest thing. Like, are you kidding me right now? Like, like the idea that we have made it some kind of political uh, flashpoint, whether or not you wear a mask. Like, are you serious? This virus doesn't care if you're a Republican. It's going to kill you. Like, no. Actually, I got um, mass shamed in Missouri. Wow. So that was very special. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, Missouri is... um, I won't be going back there anytime no. soon. No. Three weeks I, was well enough. That's a lot of time. Yeah, it was a lot. Um, okay, so <laughs> moving right along. Portland. Let's mm-hmm. talk about Portland. How are we feeling about what's happening there? <laughs> speaking of tyranny. Uh, yeah. Yeah, speaking of, speaking of uh, existential crisis. <laughs> no, um, it's, uh, again, horrified. Uh, it, it's very, very scary to me to see the... Um, the 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 uh, evolution of just outright yeah, I mean you know we got secret police snatching people off the right. streets it's just insane to me how that's happening and how people are just kind of letting it letting it ride and I'm like like I've seen the videos it's like terrifying and people are making excuses they're saying oh it's just antifa whatever whatever that means like not realizing that literally anybody could be called quote unquote sure. antifa that's a meaningless statement right. and <laughs> exactly or it's just the agitators like even agitators have constitutional rights like what are you talking about like you it's coming from the same people who are like i need 57 guns in my basement to protect me from the tyrannical government and then when the government actually starts snatching people off the streets you don't say anything i mean it's like good lord like i you know and i i mean you know and i've told people this on my thing before like i i've got a gun you know i'm not anti-gun but like but like it really is pressing to me how y'all are always like I need my gun for this and then it happens and you're just like well the instigators are I'm sure the president knows what he's doing I'm like wait a minute right. I want to know where the if you don't like it leave people are right now uh, exactly I like do stances because we're not allowed anywhere <laughs> Americans aren't allowed anywhere in the world right now so exactly and also oh so you think that if you don't like the conditions of your country you should leave and go to a different country uh hmm, where have i heard that before what do you think refugees are (laughs) yeah well like i saw i just saw this hilarious tweet that was like talking about it was it was a post of the map of all the places that americans are not allowed to go right now and somebody tweeted he was like oh is there some invisible wall that's gonna stop yeah. us and, they were, and that person responded wait so now you're pro illegal immigration like what are you talking about yeah. <laughs> it's it's insane i but about 10 years ago i was very deep down the rabbit hole uh with libertarianism and i was going to ron paul rallies and look oh, wow. i was i was yeah. early 20s i was dating a prepper um there there were some things that I learned back then that I still hold on to, but I was so deep uh, in the trenches with this stuff that I was not only in a very deep depression, I was hanging out with these people you're speaking of, uh, 
don't like it leave mm. uh, situation. The the people who think that nationalism and patriotism are the same. Exactly, which is uh, those people have infiltrated the Libertarian Party oh, yeah. because Libertarianism at its core is not about that. I, mean, I consider myself a Libertarian, Libertarian Socialist, whatever you want to call it. But like you know, I do want the government right. to like maybe chill a little yeah. bit. But like the, the people who are they're basically just like republicans that are calling themselves libertarians and like, right. you know a real libertarian believes people should have individual liberty not like oh well, well i believe the president is the god and he knows everything and he can't make any bad decisions like no like are you kidding me that's not what libertarianism is about right and hence why i don't call myself a libertarian anymore because people legitimately think i'm a right wing nut job or yeah, exactly <laughs> exactly gary i don't uh-huh that you voted for like gary johnson or jill oh Stein. god yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, rest in peace oh god yeah. but um no but why i brought that up is watching what's happening in portland right now is a lot of what i read about back 10 years ago and there's actually i'm working right now on doing a mini documentary about this um I don't know if either of you have heard about this, but it's called The Gray State. Mm-hmm. Ren, have you read I don't think Is so. Is it like the deep state? Sort of. <laughs> it's actually, uh, so I'll just tell this really quick story and then we're going to wrap this up. But basically, back in 2000 and I want to say eight or nine, uh, there was a group of filmmakers that um, had at the time the largest funded Kickstarter of all time. And it was for this movie called The Gray State. And the writer-director is a former Marine, okay? He was making a film or wanted to make a film about the militarization of the police in the United States. Thanks, Obama. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, before. Yeah, I know. <laughs> And thank you, Bush, before him. And like, this is yeah. why I don't get into it because I'm like, look, Obama did some really terrible things for national security, yeah. and so did Bush, and so, and, and so <laughs> did Bill Clinton. Yeah. Exactly. Like, it's been a slow erosion of our yeah. rights for like several presidents. Yeah. Now. We didn't just wake up with the militarized police. <laughs> no, exactly. We did this, not wake up like this. But that's what the film is about, and it's the frog in the boiling pot theory, right? Right, right, right. Long story short, this guy was in the middle of finishing the script for this film, okay? He was then found dead in his home with his wife and young daughter. Suicide murder. She did air quotes. You can't see him. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, you know, well, I, I kind of envisioned it. Um, <laughs> I'm the closed captioning. Of course, nothing ever came of this film, and all the conspiracy theorists, all the libertarians, all the Alex Jones people, mm. it was a big, big deal back then, and it actually scared the ever-living shit out of me because, again, at the time, I was very deep. Uh, I was on the North Florida Libertarian Board, okay? I was in this, right? And I was working on a film about some political things it scared me so bad that not only did i break up with my boyfriend at the time uh i stopped associating with all those people i moved out of florida i stopped writing anything political this moment in time in my life uh scared me so bad so when all this portland stuff started happening um i kind of had a little bit of ptsd about it Uh, and it's just fascinating that so many Americans, especially ones that I um, was friends with back then, have nothing to say about this, about what's happening in Portland. Right. And it's, it's just fascinating and scary. 
so enough about the nightmare that we're all living in. <laughs> uh, of existential stressing. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, until five I minutes really from wanted now. to end on education, and I don't want to put this on you, but if you want to give your two cents, I would love it. Allyship. As a woman to a woman, what can we do? How can we be better? Where do we go from here? All right, that's a heavy question to end on. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know, like, I think that um, really so much of it can just start by by listening yeah. and by um, honestly hearing you know, what's going on, what, what, what's happening. Um, without being defensive. Yeah, exactly. Without being, def- exactly. Without being defensive, because I think that, especially for allies, like I, I've seen this happen where people who, you know, consider themselves allies, you know, they don't consider themselves racist. They really don't want to be racist, but they get bogged down, they get tired and they feel like, you know, Oh, am I doing, am I not doing anything right? Or, you know, is there always a prop? Like they get there. They're, again, I said it at the beginning of the show, impact versus intent. Mm-hmm where there's a lot of times where people are like, you know, they did something and maybe it had an impact that did, they didn't intend, but they focus on their intent. So rather than apologize or rather than try to learn and grow from it, they just get defensive. They're like, well, I didn't mean it that way or I wanted it to be this way, you know. But ultimately, you can you might control your intent, but you can't control your impact. Right. You can't guarantee that something will be received the same way that you have um, put it out there. And so when someone calls to mind something, you know, it's worth considering it at face value rather than you know, immediately feeling like I got to get defensive thinking like, okay, you know, maybe my in- intent was good, but maybe my impact wasn't. Maybe I need to reconsider, reevaluate how I approach this and um, the kind of, you know, what I'm doing and, and listen when someone says that, that I'm doing something that maybe is hurting them or it's not, um, you know, like for a perfect example, perfect example of impact versus intent. So I, I think you remember that Blackout Tuesday thing oh, yeah. that happened oh, weeks ago, where everyone was putting posting that black square, oh. um, and that's all they were doing. And like the complete irony, like and honestly, a perfect picture of how you know misguided allyship can can be harmful is that it pushed actual Black Lives Matter posts like yeah. down. Like people were posting pictures with links and and resources and stuff in the actual Black Lives Matter movement, and they weren't being seen because they were being bombarded. The hashtag was being bombarded with black squares. Right. <laughs> So it's a perfect visual illustration of how, you know, misguided allyship can do more harm than good because it's like you're literally speaking over the people that need to be heard right now. Right. Um, Yeah. And so with that, um, what what would you say would be the best place for someone to to start with their education as TikTok? Boom. There you go. Rin stars TikTok. Besides you, we're gonna get there. But besides you, uh, who who are some other influential people that that you look to? Um. Well, let's see. I um I follow people on Twitter and and Instagram and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um some inspirations uh not this not so much specifically black lives matter but just in general culture ideas mm-hmm. i really like lizzie ellis okay. mm-hmm. she makes uh video essays that i really admire um where she takes a deep dive into the cultural impact of certain things yeah. and um I, the uh yeah go ahead, go ahead i was i was just gonna you mentioned aoc earlier uh 
and she's very active on Twitter and she she yes. does a very good job of breaking down uh, s- certain structures, uh, governmental structures in place. She does a good job of breaking them down for laymen like myself who don't necessarily have a background in politics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of, of legislation. Yeah. She does a really good job of of making it palatable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I... Uh, and uh, lots of people I follow on um, TikTok, I follow the consciously. He's really good. He, he he has a master's in like this kind of stuff, and he talks about a lot of those elements, just in a way that makes you think. Um, on TikTok a lot, he's like an inspiration for me. And um, other ones, uh, the Anti Black Fish Club. She does um, she does a lot of informative videos as well on TikTok. Several people on TikTok have been really informative. Yeah, um, I. I need to expand my TikTok sphere because I haven't been on it as long as I know as yeah I I don't I don't get it I don't get the fear I have a really hard time no I mean I want to be better at TikTok but I you don't even need to be like making content for it just yeah you could just be I know but my my for you page I don't know what TikTok thinks I am you kind of do have to curate it a little yeah because TikTok definitely everything they give me they're like here's a bunch of stuff for lesbians and cats. They're like, they're like, I mean, that's pretty spot on. I mean, they're not wrong, but like, <laughs> that's like all the shit I see. So I have to, I think I need to make an effort to go outside of. Yeah, that's- you have to like and comment on certain things, and eventually it starts to learn your taste. Right, right, right. Get well, Jenna, I have a great place for you to start. What? Her name's Ren Star. Oh my God, I've heard of her. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Ren, this has been a pleasure. I appreciate you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Sorry for the the technical difficulties at the beginning. Oh no, it's, it's our growing pains. Um, <laughs> These are I'm, our stretch marks. <laughs> yeah. But I'm really honored that you're our first guest. Yeah. Right? Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, so where can the people find you and any last remarks or. <laughs> you can find me um, on TikTok, obviously at Rinstar. That's R Y N N S T A R. You can also find me on tiktok or sorry twitter and instagram at the real ren star um because for some reason on both those platforms ren star was already taken and so the real ren star on tiktok on, on gosh the real ren star so many on twitter with. and on yes on, and on instagram and on youtube i have a youtube channel it's called wordy talk um i'm planning on putting a full-length video up there soon i've been teasing it for months now it's been crazy but um, i do plan on putting more long form um, the first one I think is going to be a Q and A. Okay, so cool. Pretty, pretty straightforward. Um, but yeah, but I do plan on talking about language and other things on there. That's a full length, um, you know, YouTube channel. So it's called Wordy Talk, and um, I think that's the major socials. Did I see um, on your TikTok you got some merch coming out? Or yes, I do have some merch. It's currently on Redbubble, although I'm looking at to, into moving it to Teespring possibly. Um, because I think the margins are better on Teespring. But Absolutely. yeah, I do have some merch. I have a merch store on Redbubble and it's linked. I have a link tree in my TikTok, which you can get to my merch from. And you can also get to it through my Instagram. Um, there's a link there to the to the Redbubble for some merch. So, and do, are you, do you have to go back and teach in person this fall? Or do you know so yet? It's, I mean, we've been getting announcements. It's very, So the preliminary plan, what I've heard is that the 
half the kids are going to come on Monday, Tuesday, and then Wednesday is going to be a digital learning day. And then the other half of the kids are going to come on Thursday, Friday. Oh, wow. But that, that I have no idea what that's going to look like for me specifically as a music teacher. Uh, I, I, I don't have a clue. It's, it's, it's very up in the air. That's convoluted. Well, thank you again. Uh, it's been awesome. Learned a lot. And uh, I really do look forward to more videos from you. Um, everybody, this was the first episode of Explorer Podcast Woo! with Jenna and Blair and Rinstar is our first guest. And uh, please find us everywhere on the internet and you can listen to the podcast on any streaming service by the time this is up. Thank you again and we'll see you next time. Bye.